the uh, renowned theologian Bob Dylan, maybe some of you um, remember him, or I guess he's still alive, right? He's still alive. Once crooned, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. What Bob Dylan says in his song is worship is not a question of if we will worship. Worship is a question of who we will worship. That by design, we have to serve someone or something. It's only a question of who. John Lennon found the song embarrassing and wrote a song in response that he called Serve Yourself. You know, have to serve somebody. He says, serve yourself. Nobody else is going to. And maybe that's because nobody else is. Well, anyway, we won't go there. Worship comes from the old English um, word that has five consecutive consonants, which in my mind makes it unpronounceable, right? You cannot put five consonants together and come up with a word. But it means to have worthiness or meritousness. It means to ascribe, the verb, to ascribe worth or value to something, to honor something, to venerate something, to lift something up. Worship. We usually associate that with deity, right? To the, the, what we're ascribing worth to or what we're holding up is, is something of the divine or, or something of the God nature. But we sometimes use it um, with in reference to people too, right? People say some things like, he worships the ground that she walks on. We're saying he ascribes worth to the very place, steps, that, the dirt that she takes steps on, or, or she worships her kids. I think worship actually goes way beyond just even divine or people. That we ascribe worth to a lot of things in the course of our lives. Things that are far less than divine. I think you can get a pretty good idea of what it is that you ascribe worth to, what it is that you worship in the general sense by looking at your calendar, right? What do you do with your days? How do you spend your time? Do we have a more valuable resource than the time? I mean, it's finite. We only get so many moments on the planet. What do we do with our time? And look at your checking account. What do you do with your money? Because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. We're in our um, fourth week of our series, Following Jesus Together, looking at our third spiritual marker. Spiritual markers are things that practices, habits, that don't prove that we are growing as disciples. They don't, they don't prove that we're holy, but they're practices that as we engage in them, help us grow as disciples, help us grow as followers of Jesus. And the first week we looked at Bible engagement. Right? We have God's word that's been passed down through the generations, and as we engage with God's word, he writes it on our hearts, we learn and grow in understanding who God is and, and what we were made for and how we worship 
Bible engagement. Last week, we looked at passionate prayer. Prayer is our means of communication, conversation with God. Any, any relationship that you have, you want to know somebody, you have to talk with them. And we're not just talking about getting to know about God, but getting to know God. So it's, it's personal. It's passionate prayer. This week, we come to wholehearted worship. Christian worship ascribes ultimate worth to God, and not just any, any God, to the God that we meet initially in the Old Testament who introduces, introduces himself to, to Abraham. is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of Israel. The God that, that Jesus worshipped during his life when he was went out into the wilderness after his baptism for, um, to be where he was tempted. One of the temptations that the devil brought to Jesus was he took him up on a high mountain and showed him all the, the kingdoms of the world and said, if you bow down to me, I will give it all to you. Jesus' response is, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I will not worship you. I will worship the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of what he was, would have known as, as the Old Testament. He worshipped God. The Christian worship ascribes ultimate worth to God and also to his only begotten son, Jesus, the Christ, who became human. It actually got Jesus in a lot of trouble uh, on the occasion of the triumphal entry, on the last week of Jesus' life, he walks into the streets of Jerusalem, says when Jesus came uh, near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Since some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, as they're shouting praise to him, as they're, as they're crying out, Hosanna. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop worshiping you. Worship is for God alone. And yet Jesus receives their worship. He says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If, if the people don't cry out and worship to me, the very rocks on the earth will worship me. I will be worshipped. Jesus received worship. My um, family in Indiana, they use this app called Life360. Anybody familiar with Life360? It's like everybody in the family is, is signed into this app, and they can all like see where every person is at at any moment in time. And they, they, I, it works for them because they're always, uh, there's like three generations, and they're trading kids and all the time and getting people to the right places and all the things that they need to do. And they're kind of doing this as a village. And it's a little Orwellian for me, but it, but it works for them, right? Live 360. Worship is Live 360. But it, it's not using geo, geolocation. It's not about finding where we are on the planet. Church buildings were closed during the pandemic. 
And we've said for my whole life, right, and anybody who really understands understands that the church has never been a building, that the church is the people of God, empowered and connected by the Spirit of God. But when they closed church buildings, a lot of people talked about the church being closed, as if the building was the church. And I think, from my perspective, a lot of churches responded inappropriately in saying, you cannot close us, meaning you can't close the doors of our building. I'm saying they never closed us. No one can, no one can close a church. If it can be closed, it's not a church. The place of our worship is not a building. The place of our worship is wherever we are. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who live in it. God is everywhere and can be worshipped anywhere. The, the church is live 360, not in terms of geolocation, but in terms of deolocation which is probably more accurately deolocation, but that doesn't, rely, doesn't rhyme with geo, so we're going to go with deal for our purposes today, right? Deolocation. We are inundated with appeals for our devotion. Every time we turn on the TV, every time we read something on the Internet, every time we go onto Facebook or, or onto any social media app, every time we talk to another human being, right, we are inundated with appeals to our, for our attention, for our devotion, for, for us to give somebody else something of ourselves to us, that ascribes worth to them. We're always being pulled in different directions towards other gods, little g gods. Worship presses pause on our lives and says, who or what am I worshiping right now? Where is the worth that I have to ascribe to someone else? Where is it going? Am I ascribing worth to the one to whom I profess to be the most worthy. Worship is, a, is a, a time of pausing and saying, where is my worship going? What deity am I ascribing it to? It's about deolocation and it's about meolocation. Where am I? Where is my heart in relationship to God? The church has patterned its worship after the Old Testament um, tabernacle and, and, and temple. And, and there's kind of a, a general outline in worship in which we, we approach God, where we're coming into, we're, uh, into the presence of God again. And in the Old Testament and in New Testament, what, what that means is like, okay, we're going to go and meet with God Wherever it is in the world, right, we're, we're setting time, this time and this space to go and meet with God. And there's this, this sense of anticipation, celebration. When, when the, in the Old Testament temple, when they were approaching um, the city for worship, like they, they were singing and shouting, declaring God's praise. 
But when you get there and you enter then into the presence of God, you're struck by the awareness that God is God, he is holy, and in his presence I am not. And so it was, the worship pattern was there's this approach to God, and then this surrendering to God and to his word, to his presence, which requires confession, right? Atonement, covering for our sins. And then movement into the presence of God and communion and fellowship and intimacy with God. Out of which we respond, right? We come to God, we hear from God, we meet with God. And then we, we go out and live for God in the world. But worship is, is a reset for who's God and who am I and where am I in relationship to God. Reorienting to where we are and recalculating then from where, where we are to where we're going to go. If we use our sanctuary today as, as, as an, uh, an example, right, and just imagine... Pretend that this is a theater. Who's watching the show? In worship, who's watching the show? The, one of the inventions of the, the 20th century was um, the practice of, of church shopping. Um, it used to be that everybody went to, first of all, just the church in, in their city and we had parish churches, and, and you belonged to the, the church in your community. Um, or if you immigrated to the United States from another country, you went to the church where the people from your country went to. This was the, our church was founded as a, a Dutch immigrant church. All the, most of the people who went here were, were Dutch people. But then people stopped going to immigrant churches and, and stopped going just to the church in their community. They started looking for churches that had programs that, that met their needs and, and had a style of worship that they found to be comfortable, that connected for them, that helped them connect with God. And I get it, and I think there, that makes a lot of sense in some of you know, that we're going we're gonna to worship God on a, on a heart level. It ought to be something that connects with us in a, in a, in a spirit-heart level. But kind of the unintended consequence of that was that churches became retail outlets. What church has the best program? What church has the best worship team? What church has the best preaching? Because I want to go to the church where I get the best services. And in the church, that then translates into the worship leaders, whether it's the preacher Tim in our church are, are the worship team and the worship leaders that are on the stage that they are then the actors and the people sitting in the pews are the audience. It kind of sets up that way, right? Doesn't it look like that? We have a stage up here. You're all the, you're sitting in the seats of people up here performing for you. In worship, there is an audience of one. Right? If we're ascribing worth to God, 
We do not come here to ascribe worth to Tim or to ascribe worth to our worship team. We come here to ascribe worship to God, which in a theater format, here's what it means, right? All of us are the stage, and God alone is the audience. And the worship leader, whether it's me preaching a message or the the worship team leading songs or an elder leading in prayer, their job as stage manager is to help you learn your lines, know your positions for your part, for your role in worshiping God. An audience of one. God is the focus. Just ask yourself, this, when you got up this morning and you decided that you were going to go to church, you decided you were going to watch church online this morning, did you get up, did you come thinking, I just need to, I need something from God this morning. I need a, a fresh, I need a fresh word. I need uh, a fresh outpouring. I need something from, I need a great message today to encourage me and help me get into another week. I hope that the worship team sings my favorite song this week that, that really, right? Did you come thinking, what, can, what do I need and what, what am I going to get out of going this morning? Or did you wake up this morning and say, I am going to church because I am wholly focused on giving glory, ascribing worth to God. Now, I believe every time we do that, we do get something out of it. But worship is wholly focused on declaring God's glory and praise. God is an audience of one. Well, if sticking with the, the theater format, right? Well, who, what's in the playbill? Who are the actors? Is this a castaway production? Right? One person on an island trying to figure life out? Worship is deeply personal. And worship can have, happen anywhere. The woman at the well, Jesus encountered the, the Samaritan woman. Jesus has this conversation. And as part of the conversation, Samaritans worshiped in one place and the Jews worshiped in another place. And she's talking about the where of worship. And, and Jesus' response is, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worship the worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. That worship comes down to the very heart of the individual worshiper. It's personal. And it, and it can be in a, in a, in a sanctuary of 5,000 st- people and still be intimately personal. And Jesus, you can worship me with your lips and your, far, your, your heart can still be far from me. You can be in a worship context and not be worshiping at all. It's deeply personal. But it is also necessarily communal. Necessarily. You go back to the garden. Adam had unfettered, uninterrupted communion with God. He's in the garden, 
And it's all there. It's all been made and it's all good. And God says, it is not good for him to be alone. And out of Adam comes Eve and their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and, and, and a community and a culture and a society and nations. Throughout history, throughout the history of Israel beginning in the Old Testament, worship was a corporate affair. It was something, God delivered Israel out of bondage in Egypt as a nation, and they worshiped as a nation. They worshiped as a people. And they had their annual, the three annual festivals, and they would go up to Jerusalem, and they would walk up to Jerusalem together, and they would go and worship together, and they would sing songs together. The first place, that, Jesus, that we find Jesus after he's born, right? We, we have the, the birth story. The first time we, we meet him from after that time is where? As a boy, he's at the temple. Did you not know I would be at my father's, in my father's house? He's there with the people in the worshiping community. When Jesus began his ministry, after he came out of the wilderness and he goes back and, and now he's, he's launching out into what will be the three years that will lead to the cross. Where does he go? He goes to the synagogue. He goes to the worshiping community, the place where people gather together. Jesus' disciples continue to worship after his ascension continue to worship and meet together. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, you find them coming together over and over and over again, meeting together, praying together, eating together. When Paul took the gospel then and starts to spread the, the message around the Mediterranean Sea as he, as he moves away around and he goes into a city and he proclaims the gospel and he brings the people together and then that group of people becomes a church and he goes on and then he writes letters back to the church that are meeting together in people's houses. It was people coming together. It is profoundly, deeply personal, but it is also communal. And in their communal worship, their worship was also missional. Even as they were gathering together in worship, it was making a difference. It was making an impact around the world, around the community, the people who were watching them in worship. In Acts, it says, they broke bread and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That what they were doing and the way that they were doing it made an impression upon the world around them and the world around them then responded by joining them in worship. That, that what we do is done in such a way with such passion and purpose and authenticity and humility, service and surrender that other people are moved by it and drawn to it. 
Well, the actors in the play, it's individual, it's personal. It is communal. It's the people of God coming together. It's missional. It's drawing other people into the family. What on earth is going on in the orchestra pit? In worship, we join a symphony. Psalm 135, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it, let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Heaven and nature sing. All the trees of the field clap their hands. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. All of creation is declaring God's worship, God's glory, God's worthiness. Human beings are unique in this whole creative order in that we alone get to choose whether we do or don't. A tree does not wake up in the morning saying, you know what, who am I going to worship today? Who am I going to wave my leaves for today? It's always for God. When the ocean crashes, you know, who am I crashing my waves for today? It's always God. We get to choose. We get to decide. And when we join in worship, we join in all of creation in that worship. Music has been a powerful and integral part of worship. David was a harpist, songwriter, credited with writing many of the psalms and and collecting all of them together. You read through the psalms. If you read the little fine print at the beginning of many of the psalms, you'll find musical notations. It says things like a song or for the music director, or to the tune of. The Israel was a song-singing community, joining in creation and worship. Psalm 150. Praise him with the sounding of trumpet. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Take every instrument you've got and use it to make noise, glory, honor, worship, praise to God. The church, from its birth, has been a singing community. Paul, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Music's capacity to change our mood, to affect our emotions, to shape our thoughts is well documented. Right? There have been all kinds of studies that, that have investigated and looked at and researched how music impacts us as human beings in our brain, in our soul, in our heart, in our emotions. It moves us. It touches our soul. It engages our spirit. Bob Dylan and John Lennon point out that all music is worship music. 
You're going to serve someone. Maybe the devil, maybe the Lord. You're going to serve someone. Serve yourself. They were both musicians, and they sang songs. And I, if you sit down and listen to the radio, do anybody listen to the radio anymore? Somebody listens to the radio. Right? Or your iPod or Amazon Music or however it is that you listen to music. Listen to a song. What is it ascribing worth to? All music is worship music. All music is ascribing worth to something. Unless maybe I think there's like a couple exceptions. I think Phil, Phil Collins did a song called Susu Studio. Uh, whatever Susu Studio. I don't know, right? Maybe you'll find an exception. A pointless, meaningless song. But all music ascribes worth to someone or something. That's why music matters in ways that have been very problematic in the church because it matters so much to us. Sometimes we get stuck to one song or one style of music or one instrument like the organ and we can't integrate other because we've kind of associated that with God at the expense of everything else that we see around us. Churches have divided over music. Churches have gotten lost as Deb talked about in our call to worship this morning, in music. Some people don't like music. Some people don't come to church on a Sunday morning until the worship set is over because they want to hear a sermon, but they don't want to sing a song. Again, it's not everybody's cup of tea. But it's a vehicle, powerful vehicle for worship. But as Matt Redman, again, in Deb's Call to Worship, reminds us that worship is infinitely more than a song. Brandon Lake wrote another song that we sometimes sing. It says, all my words fall short. I got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing this song as I often do, but every song must end and you never do. All of life, all the time, is worship. Every breath is a breath that has been breathed into us by the Spirit of God and comes out of us by the Spirit of God. What do we do with that breath? Every moment is a moment that has been given to us by the creator of the earth and can be taken from us in a moment. What do we do with the moments that we have? All of life. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. To give everything you have, all the time, to the one who gave you everything you have and every moment that you have in it. Worship is 360. 24, 7, 365. 20 years ago, we were always talking on Sunday morning about 
not letting your worship end on Sunday morning, right? That we talked about people being Sunday Christians, and, and so you went to church, and then after church, you kind of lived your life the rest, the way you wanted to the rest of the week, and, and you went to work, and you were, you know, mean and cruel and corrupt and all that kind of stuff, and you went back to church and got forgiven again, and, and it was all good to go into the next week. You know, we, we don't want to be Sunday Christian. We're always trying to, you know, take it out into the world. Now we're kind of post-pandemic trying to get people to come back into Sunday morning again. Just so I can have a job. I like working here. It kind of works out for me in a lot of different ways. All of life is for worship. Right? You don't need to be here on a Sunday morning to worship God. You do need other people. Not all the time, but sometimes it is communal. Right? Jesus said, the greatest man, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the same thing, right? That means, and the thing, I, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, and kind of made a point. He's also saying, not just love the neighbors who are like you, love the neighbors you don't like. Pray for the people who persecute you. We leave churches because we don't like somebody. Jesus says, love them. We're going to live all of life in worship. One of the authors that I read often says, we have to start. Are we going to live all of life in worship? You have to start with a minute. Maybe 10 minutes. An hour. Maybe three times a day, five minutes. Because we are so prone to wander and forget. And so to, to, right, to begin to live more of our life on which we have to be more intentional, creating, carving out space in our days. And for me, and for the church throughout, since, since the resurrection, the church has met on the first day of the week, on the resurrection Sunday, to remind ourselves, geolocation again, who is God and where are we, that Jesus is alive, that his spirit is among us and that we are not living in this world alone, that we are not living it to ourselves, but we are living it to God's glory and we start first thing, first day of the week to reset, to relocate, to go out and to live again more and more of our days, more and more of our moments, more and more of our hours, more and more of our minutes, more and more of our lives to the glory of God. God, we were created by you for fellowship with you. And it has been badly corrupted by a broken world, by things that have happened to us and by things that we've done in response to that and by things that we've done ourselves. And we have a world that's inundating us with messages that are saying, go here, do this, live this way, love that. And yet you still long to be in relationship with us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to cover our sins so that we might come into your presence again know and be known by you. Thank you for recovering our hearts. Restore our worship, Lord, to a greater and greater extent each day. Wholehearted. Our hearts get 
divided and pulled into all different ways. Lord, bring our hearts back together. Wholehearted worship. 360 degrees. 24 hours a day. Seven days a week. 365 days a year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.